Welcome to the OC24 podcast, where we've taken some of the best talks and discussions from this year's 24-hour conference on global organised crime, which showcases some of the most interesting research into organised crime around the world. This episode is called Organised Corruption, Manifestations, Impact and Remedies. So, hello. Um, uh, welcome for those of you that have joined us to this panel on organized corruption, manifestations, impact, and remedies. Uh, I'm Ugis Vekic, and I will be chairing uh, the panel. And I, I have a great pleasure to introduce uh, my colleagues and um, the panelists, Professor Sunčana Roksandić from the University of Zagreb, Professor Eldan Mojanović from the University of Sarajevo, and Professor Bojan Dobovšek from the University of Maribor. We will have uh, uh, short presentations uh, on, on this topic. And then, of course, uh, uh, we hope there will be uh, some discussion. You may wish to use either uh, indication by raising your hand, or you may send us uh, uh, written uh, questions, comments, either through the chat or through the question, questions and answer. Um, uh, item. So uh, I will uh, start uh, with sort of introduction. Um, this topic uh, came actually from a particular uh, study that uh, we have uh, done in the uh, Global Initiative of Transnational Organized Crime in Western Balkans. It is called the infrastructure of integrity, and it has uh, three or actually four parts, the executive summary, then it has political economy of organized corruption and anti-corruption in the Western Balkans. Part three is Western Balkans in anti-corruption pledges, and part four are the national assessments. There are six of them. So we had <clears throat> from each um, country in the region, one national expert that, that has prepared the national assessments and actually uh, political economy and the Balkan anti-corruption pledges are based very much on the material that was provided by our um, um, experts. And one of them is uh, um, Eldon, uh, who has been in charge of Bosnia and Herzegovina and uh, Sunčana has been co-author of these um, uh, Infrastructure of Integrity series, and she dealt with um, international and regional aspects of anti-corruption uh, situation. So uh, when we looked, of course, in, in, in Western Balkans through what are the available uh, indicators of corruption through the well-known Transparency International Corruption Perception Index, uh, we have looked at the countries and we have actually noted that in the last five, six years, there was unfortunately decline in terms of the um, perception of corruption, decline in terms that more corruption was perceived as the, as, as, as the years have gone by, which is not such a good uh, trend with few um, exceptions. 
but also two countries in particular, <clears throat> Serbia and Bosnia and Herzegovina in terms of ranking on this scale have witnessed um, the, the, the biggest uh, jump down. Uh, there is another uh, corruption uh, measure, uh, which is called Global Corruption Index. It's uh, something that just came out in 2021. And it also looked at 194 countries. These are not perceptions. It is a composite measure of responses to corruption um, uh, and some corruption uh, uh, cases. And there again, we have seen that countries belonging to the Western Balkans are in the middle downwind uh, part, uh, so below below uh, median of, of this uh, scale that was uh, made. Uh, similarly, the Global Organized Crime Index, which also was released in uh, October, so last month, by global, or two months ago, by global initiative against translational organized crime has shown that by uh, organized crime or criminality, uh, countries of Western Balkans, we can say, have a high level of uh, uh, criminality, presence of organized crime, both actors and uh, illicit criminal market. But that in the resilience, they are not as bad as they are with, um, with crime. So there are efforts obviously to <clears throat> have certain, to increase capacity to respond to the challenges of organized crime. It's, the situation is not as negative as with the presence of organized crime, though of course there are differences between um, the countries yet. They belong to the bottom part, at least in terms of European uh, uh, countries. So uh, in addition to organized crime and corruption, uh, there is a lot of money laundering in the region. First of course, we have a large informal sectors, which is of course not criminal, but may facilitate a lot of uh, money laundering. There is the prevalence of cash payment in economy, even for large purchases. Already we have uh, mentioned corruption. Uh, there is little awareness actually and knowledge about uh, uh, the, 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 the money laundering. And there is a very low institutional capacity to investigate, prosecute and convict for money laundering. Actually in the Western Balkans, there are just a few cases of conviction uh, for, for money um, laundering. Um, and, and, and this is also reflected in the uh, previously mentioned uh, global crime organized, uh, global organized crime um, um, index. So it is, it is a very weak point. Corruption and, and money laundering are very weak points in the, in the region. And so on the basis of that, uh, we, we know that uh, conventional corruption, bribery, nepotism are unfortunately culturally well entrenched and often go hand in hand with malfunction of public administration. But in our view, what is really very interesting for the region is what we have coined organized corruption and that is involvement and use of uh, interest organization, criminal or not, 
um, in using corruption and related illicit deeds from the position of power or with political coverage for financial, political, or social benefits. And this organized corruption rests on the interwoven criminal, political, and economic interests or establishments, if you like. And the key types of organized corruption are political financing of parties, but also uh, political coverage for uh, uh, public uh, bids and tenders, then economic and financial corruption and illicit um, enrichment of um, persons in, in power. Uh, we have also seen that this organized corruption sits well with the state embedded organized crime actors and resides in low levels of resilience as evidenced by the uh, global organized crime index. Um, the actors are politicians, um, domestic and foreign entrepreneurs that are in the markets. Unfortunately, members of the judiciary and the criminal justice system, including law enforcement, organized crime affiliates, and of course, people, officials that are working at different levels of public um, administration. Um, corruption or organized corruption really does not sit only in the underworld. It is in a sort of a mezzo, mezzo world. It is somewhere on this very thin border between licit and illicit. And actually only some parts of organized crime and organized corruption are strictly confined to, under, to the underworld. The main remedies, of course, are part of ex post facto remedy, which is criminal justice response. And that is effective investigation, including special investigative techniques, tracking profits, targeted prosecution of high and top level masterminds between uh, behind the organized corruption, then fair and speedy adjudication with adequate sentencing, which is lacking a lot, unfortunately, increased confiscation and asset recovery, compensation for victims, which does really not exist, nor there is sufficient social use of recovered assets. And then culture of integrity, which in long-term and in terms of prevention is the most effective uh, approach to uh, against corruption, particularly against organized corruption. And it is not only public uh, awareness, but it is very much linked to education and also to qual high quality professional socialization of law enforcement, judiciary, and um, also raising their cons cons consciousness of a need to be independent because there are in the region many, many pressures against independence of these um, state uh, agencies, but uh, the professions uh, that, that work there themselves must build, be, build this culture of integrity, which includes also the consciousness, consciousness of the importance of independence. And of course, much greater role of the parliament as an oversight uh, function over the government and the state, including also an independent role of the anti-corruption uh, bodies. So this is my uh, introduction. 
um, to this discussion. It started from the Western Balkans, but actually the concepts has much, I believe, we believe much uh, 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 bigger uh, ramifications than just in this region. So with these, I would like to give the floor to my friend, uh, Professor Eldan Mujanovic. Thank you, Ugi. Good afternoon to everyone. Uh, my name is Eldan Mujanovic and I'm from Sarajevo, Bosnia and Herzegovina, where I work as a professor at the School of Criminal Justice, Criminology and Security Studies, University of Sarajevo. As uh, Ugi uh, already mentioned, uh, my, my role in this uh, project and first, I would say, contact of point with GI was in, I think, three years ago when we started on, on, on project uh, which uh, intended to, 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 to evaluate the, the extent of implementation of anti-corruption pledges given by the Western Balkans countries within the so-called Berlin process. Uh, while we were working on this report and this study, we also, uh, we actually, we, we, we uh, detected several problems of issues related to this concept of organized corruption. I think it's very close to the concept of kleptocracy, which is probably, let's say, more, more close to, to the political sciences. And as Ugi just presented very analytically, it, it, it uh, involves a lot of different as aspects of uh, actors of their crimes, I would say, of their actions and, 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 and the results of those actions. Uh, I would say that uh, apart from the analysis of the legal framework, institutional arrangements uh, in, in terms of implementation of anti-corruption pledges, which have been very, let's say, weakly implemented in, in, in the region, we also analyzed the, 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 some specific cases, which uh, let's say clearly demonstrate uh, why the criminal justice systems failed to prosecute uh, the actors of organized corruption in Western Balkans. Uh, as a, since I mentioned the concept of the kleptocracy, I would say that that that, that it's most probably the the, the the result of this of of the current situation that we have a low low level of, of persecution of corruption, especially the, the high level corruption in, in the region, is the, the, the fact that, that political elites are still controlling the judiciary uh, and still trying to and achieving to, 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 to and they are trying to achieve the, 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 the ultimate goal to stay out of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the persecution and out of the judicial uh, out of the criminal justice uh, system. Uh, when it comes to the Bosnia and Herzegovina, there are plenty of cases when we can very could uh, uh, demonstrate this. Uh, uh, but we choose for our report a few examples of really high political corruption, which unfortunately uh, failed in terms of effective prosecution. The first case was the, the so-called Pandora case which started in 2014 and it's still unresolved to this to the day. Uh, in that initial period, the chief prosecutor of the, of the country, uh, uh, of the state prosecutor office, which uh, launched the, the initiated the investigation, announced that is the, 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 larger, the largest post-war action or, or case to combat financial crime and corruption in Bosnia and Serena. The case involved more than 50 people led by the director of, in that period, indirect taxation authority. And uh, the alleged crime were, were connected with corruption in um, 
in the in the import of of different uh, different assets and especially the, the 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 textile from from Turkey. Uh, we received a lot of in that period, let's say, bombastic statements from the prosecutorial office. As I said before, this is the biggest corruption case in the country that involved high level and high profile uh, subjects from from the, from the executive branch, especially, namely the, the director of the indirect taxation authority, a lot of, of other officials and their associates. But unfortunately, to to to, to this uh, uh, day, uh, this case was ha hasn't been prosecuted in in a, in a, let's say in in the in the way that we that public expected to do. Uh, in May of this year, the court of Bosnia and Herzegovina has wrote the first instance verdict, where the the, the ex director of the of the indirect, indirect taxation authority. Has been sentenced to, to nine years of prison and and uh, the recovery of assets has been ordered by the court in the amount of I think eight hundred thousand euros, but this uh, verdict is still the subject of appeal. And when we say that case started in actually seven years ago, and we are still waiting for the for the final judgment, it, it exactly shows how how. Uh, Political elites are still powerful in controlling the, the outcome of the, of the judicial processes, especially when it involves the high-ranking officials who are in close connection with the ruling uh, political parties. And of course, uh, 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 huge amounts of the money were, were mentioned in this case. Some of them probably were, as Yugi mentioned, used for, for the financing of political parties all around the region. The cases where, where the taxation authorities have been involved in the anti-corruption in the corruption cases and the anti-corruption efforts of, of criminal justice systems are showing that that those money that the funds from these crimes were used uh, for the uh, financing of political parties. Uh, the second case is called justice case. You can imagine that. And it, it involves also the ex-minister of the interior and judges, some prosecutors, attorneys, expert witnesses, etc. Uh, the, 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 the case started in 2016. Some of the suspects were arrested and detained. Uh, some international arrest warrants were issued. But unfortunately, to this day, uh, 38 uh, individuals uh, and eight legal entities were indicted. And actually, the court proceedings never started uh, because the official explanation was that this is too too extensive uh, criminal uh, case, which involves a dozen of people. Uh, that court doesn't have enough uh, premises or, or space for 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 uh, for the for the uh, proceeding. Also, COVID started two years ago, which was also mentioned as one of the obstacles for the, for the initiation of this case. And you can imagine uh, that that people, the public, what is expected uh, from this uh, from this case when it involves uh, such a high-profile uh, officials from the ex-minister of interior, judges, prosecutors, etc., involved in very serious corruption cases related to the to the to the. Uh, uh, some some uh, to corruption with, with real estates, etc., and actually case never started. What we also also uh, detected in the case that the, the state budget already paid, I think more 
to this day more than half a million of euro for for compensation of attorneys and all other costs but the, the, the case never actually started so and some other cases we also analyzed during our 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 study and and and, and we, we put them in the report which are as i said before exactly demonstrate how the, the 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 criminal justice system is still very very weak and and cannot resolve at all the the, the problem of organized corruption in western balkans and, and as yugi uh, mentioned this is the most probably the model or, or or trend for some other jurisdictions around the globe so i think that this this study and this 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 effort that we are doing doing are are quite let's say uh can serve as a model for 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 research on, on other other uh in other in other parts of the world uh for the end i would like just once again to congratulate especially Diugi for his passionate and and energizing uh efforts to speak about organized corruption very openly publicly and and to to let's say put some lights on this problem for 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 for, for all people involved and, and who are interested in this problem. Thank you again. Thank you, Eldon. Thank you very much for, for, for this interesting presentation of uh, at least two uh, cases of what I would call organized corruption or high-level um, uh, corruption. Um, and I would now like to give the floor to my friend, Professor Bojan Dobovšek. Bojan, you have the floor. Okay, thank you, dear participants. Uh, I'm Buenda Boshek, I'm from University of Maribor, where I'm lecturing organized crime, criminal investigation and financial crime. I've been in uh, judicial branch of Special Commission for Preventing Corruption, lecturing on University Würzburg, Ghent, and of course in the region, and I was also a member of parliament. For start, I will raise the question, is corruption organized? Since we heard that almost nobody is imprisoned, of course it's organized. It's very, very well organized, in fact. Uh, we have a lot of notion connection with this conference, organized crime, organized corruption, power crime, elite crime, financial crime, serious crimes, transnational, informal economy and others. And we like to have umbrella for all these notions. So. Uh, first of all, uh, what is corruption, uh, the concept, especially here in the Balkan? Uh, first of all, we have classic corruption, which is, as I said, not very well organized. Uh, this is dealt by police and prosecutors, and we have criminal laws and uh, measures, and uh, those who were uh, captured are in prison. Then we have economic or financial corruption, where we use the specialists to disclose such cases. And we have financial institutions who will carry the case. Of course, the police will help with uh, activities and led by prosecutors. And for this, we have financial laws and reverse burden of proof and the institute of all of the money. So the, the pressure is on financial institutions. And then we have organized elite power or systemic corruption, uh, which is the most dangerous uh, corruption, especially here in the Balkan, but it's also spread all, all over the world. And for this, we have media investigators, uh, as Eldon mentioned, uh, Pandora and other cases, then international support, and of course, what is most, most important, public education of young people and uh, prevention. Uh, 
So all those, those measures are uh, necessary. And this concept of corruption is changing. We need the legal definition, of course, for prosecutors and uh, police. And then we need academia definition uh, to measure it, to compare between the states and then as a police tool for police operation. And what is uh, lately, uh, of course, media definition. Uh, and according to this, uh, organized crime and corruption is moving to economy. That's I'm researching for the late, latest few years, informal economy. Uh, what is informal economy? Uh, the simple answer is it is opposite the formal and informal economy, you pay taxes in informal economy, you do not pay taxes. But uh, then we saw that the view of the lawyers is different than the view of the economists. They're only looking for the money, the money flow and, and, and the monitor. And then the view of politicians, uh, they will blind their eyes if the people are satisfied. And of course, I'm interested on your view uh, on informal economy. Is it allowed uh, here on the Balkan, not paying taxes, uh, buying everything through connection, not declaring the status as a national sport? Uh, of course, it's um, the similar all, all over the world. First of all, I divide this informal economy on black informal economy, which is illegal, not regulated and unreported. This is, of course, the drug dealing, let's say, for example. Then we have gray economy, which is legal, which is regulated and unreported. Plumbing, let's say, plumbers are, are legal, they are regulated, but in most of the cases here in our region, you do not report to the tax office and you pay cash on hand. And then we have a white informal economy, which is the most dangerous informal economy, which is legal, regulated, and in most of the cases, even regulated uh, and reported. Then uh, this, this is a case of moving industry to, to the poor countries or uh, creative accounting and such things. So everything is legal, but it's not moral and is deviant from my point of view. But from point of view of most of the people in the region, those people can be heroes. So uh, this is the main problem because the money, uh, the, the huge amounts of money are moving around the country. Why is this dangerous? We have, of course, classic cases of this informal economy to the most dangerous informal economy, which is connected to the state capture. So the classic informal economy means that dirty money is coming to the country and we have new demands which are not real on the market. Then we have speculative investments on the stock exchange and we have usually two guilty clients and nobody will report such cases. And then uh, the violence is spreading all around the country and uh, foreign investments are questionable. Uh, we found out also that the money laundering is in company with such informal economy. And this, is, uh, this has direct influence on the legal markets. Uh, we found out also that the expenses for the security in the country, for private security and others uh, are rising. And this, of course, reflects on the legal market. 
And then the cooperation of the country on the world market is questionable. Of course, on all of this, we have the problems of investigation, prosecuting, and then uh, the problems on the courts because uh, judges and others are not familiar with such subjects. Uh, we found out that we have legal and illegal markets because of this informal economy and bigger illegal market is more groups will go on the market because nobody is crazy enough to pay taxes. If we use as a country uh, just the fiscal pressure, more companies which are on the legal market will escape to the illegal market because they cannot compete to the illegal organization uh, caused usually by organized crime. And then if we use only repression without prevention and other measures, uh, there will be more corruption even within the police, prosecutors and courts and destabilization and violence will appear in the country. So these are few of the things which we exposed and the most dangerous form of informal economy and organized corruption is state capture. Uh, who usually capture the state or some institutions or in this case laws usually? It could be elites, it could be corporations or it could be organized crime group, depends in which country. Uh, of course, how do they do? Um, some of those elites or organized crime groups, they support political campaigns, they do business deals, they corrupt, of course, this is the highest way of corruption, they extort, especially for organized crime, or it's just friendly networking or lobbying, which could be legal or illegal. Uh, what is captured by this group? Uh, it could be even governments, it could be parliament. Uh, the most dangerous is uh, what is happening, the legislation, which is usually formed out of formal institutions by, by some groups which have interest and implement articles in the law which is suitable for them. And then we have uh, also captured institutions uh, which are captured because of the, uh, those who are in the position in these institutions. And of course, the public tenders where a lot of money is circulating. What is specific, uh, what could be captured? It is criminal law, financial law, or even those institutions, let's say police, prosecutors, depends who will be the head of such institution. So uh, state capture is one of the most dangerous form of organized corruption and of course connected with the informal economy. Uh, and for the end, uh, when we studied why things are not functioning, usually the law is the most important thing. Uh, since we have three forms of um, rule of law, let's say Reichstag, which is the German concept, which is used here on the Balkan because of the history. Then we have the rule of law uh, English way, and then constitutionalism in United States of America. Okay, uh, this is why uh, you cannot implement one system in the country because they could, must have common laws adopted by the people. If the laws are are forced from outside, the people will not obey the law. 
And we found out that the bad informal institutions, as I call them, are corruption in all ways, elite agreements, clientelism, and organized crime. So those institutions are all influencing on law and subsidiary, uh, the corruption, organized crime, and an informal economy is involved. So thank you, and I will wait for your questions. Uh, Boyan, thank you very much for this very interesting uh, presentation and actually broadening uh, the, 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 the concept or locating it into other very, very um, related uh, phenomena. And you have mentioned now the law and the Rechstadt and the rule of law and constitutionalism. So we have our great, our friend Sunchana, who is a lawyer, basically, and she is actually dealing with an interesting topic uh, regarding um, serious uh, corruption. And uh, Sunchana, you have the floor. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, everybody. I really enjoyed listening to Uvi, um, Eldan, and uh, Boyan. And I must say that I'm proud to be a part of um, uh, this group of researchers, which are um, um, doing and working on the concept of organized corruption, elite corruption, corruption, specific corruption cases in, um, in our region. Um, actually, I think that we have a lot, um, a lot not only to give to our our region, but also outside the region to uh, be, uh, to give certain uh, proposals which are based on our experiences, what were so far presented by Ugi, Eldan, and uh, Boyan. Actually. This is maybe some somehow extreme title, but actually it's not when we are uh, when we are uh, taking into account what has been going on in uh, or still is in some parts of Western Balkan. So we'll be talking about serious and widespread corruption, whether in some cases, in some cases, especially if it's extreme, it could be considered even as crimes against humanity, and maybe we should even think about if we still do believe in international criminal law and international criminal court, maybe it's the time that we start understanding crimes against humanity as a crime that violates all human rights. Okay. So um, I just I just took one example. Basically, when we are analyzing conflicts, when we are analyzing the war for resources, uh, whether armed war or not armed war, hybrid war, it's very um, uh, today easy to come to the conclusion, like it was stated by an UNICEF director, those who use weapons and resources while at human rights are as guilty as those who collaborate in business with them. Both groups should face tangible sanction, investigations, and criminal trial. Uh, I have to move this. Okay. Um, what What did I mean by that short short slide? I, I meant that again. I had to emphasize when we are talking about large scale corruption and economic crimes in general uh, by big businesses and by big criminal organized groups, especially in conflict, we have to be aware that today conflicts are um, um, driven by economic forces and especially 
when we analyze where they do occur today, they are linked with some kind of either pipeline, extraction of natural resources, etc. But core international crimes, unlike what is going on during direct war, like pillage, are not very um, ready, or I don't know what which words I should use to actually discuss what about those crimes that are economic in nature and that they are violating economic and social rights on international level? What about those crimes? What about denial of the right to help? Actually, these are the questions that I'm sure that we all have to face and we have to think whether core international crimes is responding to today's needs. Because clearly we are talking here about something that states, especially if it's in interest of the state particular company for their economic security, the states are not willing, often willing or able to prosecute such cases. Um, when, I'm, when I'm underlying such cases, when I'm talking about this topic, I'm thinking something that we heard also from Goyan and Mugi and Eldon, something that does belong to political white-collar crime and does involve organized corruption or organized elite groups which are performing on large-scale those crimes. So, uh, clearly, uh, companies are not new, I mean, old, but still not uh, uh, per se, able to be prosecuted for international crime in every state and not in front of ICC. They are really important players. They are richer than, than some countries. And I have to say that only recently, according to my surprise, just three years ago, UN Security um, 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 Council for the first time addressed corruption as a threat to national peace, security, and well-being. Hmm. Again, if that is going on in international politics, what is international criminal law doing? Um, definitely, when we are talking about such large-scale corruption, which is of interest of our last presentation today, it's quite clear to, that we cannot deny that grand corruption cannot just be characterized as third world problem, that the problem is global, that depends often on multinational corporations that knowingly exploit, support and profit from kleptocracy, often making huge of the book payments to corrupt leaders in exchange for granting access to natural resources, arms markets, etc., etc. So, when we are really addressing such grand-scale corruption, it's clearly that we are addressing something that does represent a security threat. And then my question um, uh, for all of you, and uh, actually for the future, is that we should all discuss what about those serious and widespread economic crimes that violate all human right, uh, rights, that have devastating consequences, and, that do, and they do represent root causes of conflict, what are we going to do with them? Um, um, as a lawyer, I have to also find a legal basis, or we all have to find a legal basis, how we should maybe approach on international level to deal with those crimes. And one thing that I think it's very important article is that uh, if we are searching for the answer whether international criminal court should deal with such cases, then we have to be aware that one of the sources of law 
for international criminal court statute is actually application and interpretation of treaty law, where you UNCAC convention does belong to and UN convention against transnational organized crime, but also all the interpretation must be consistent with internationally recognized human rights. And especially after COVID, unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, we are quite aware that uh, civil and political rights have to be and are on the equal footing as the right to health, as economic, social, and uh, cultural rights. To make my point maybe food for thought, um, uh, we have to know or emphasize again that uh, when we are talking about international criminal crimes, especially as written in international criminal court, those are only those crimes which are so great that they threaten the peace, security and well-being of the world. Again, coming from Western Balkan area, I don't think that um, we have to be particularly persuaded that such grand, grand scale, not ordinary corruption, but such organized grand scale corruption is the one that threatens peace, security and well-being of the world. Um, as stated, applicable law that we have to use to interpret the ICC statutes does involve to underline again applicable treaties, general principles of law, and it has to be consistent with internationally recognized human rights. Well, UNCAC, UN Convention Against Corruption, it's, I think, the most widely accepted um, international convention treaty. And as of August 2021, we have uh, almost whole world being part of that convention. So we cannot really claim that that treaty that we are acting against the principle of legality and that we are inventing some crimes which are not yet invented as such. Um, okay, this is one slide maybe that we can skip, but it's just underlining that corruption is a plague that has wide range of corrosive effects of societies, which was stated in preamble and um, um, when UNCAC um, uh, was uh, signed. On the other hand, as Rechtsgut, what Boan was mentioning, and, and we have to pr protect something, by prosecuting such grand scale corruption on international level, we are not, again, just protecting um, um, political and um, civil rights, we are protecting economic, social, and cultural rights. And maybe something's changed today. But I have to remind what was stated in 1998 that then all of, the, of all domains where state and governmental action on human rights have failed to achieve anything more than modest success, the development of effective measures for the prevention and remedying of violations of economic, social and cultural rights must surely classify one of the most um, um, glaring downfalls of our world uh, community so far. Uh, but maybe after COVID and after such pandemics, we shouldn't forget, but it's maybe good to re remember that after Second World War, when we had a yet different type, uh, different type of uh, threats and, 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 and uh, crisis, it was quite easy to um, uh, recognize that the true individual freedom cannot exist without economic security and uh, independence. 
and necessitous men are not free men, people who are hungry and out of jobs are the stuff of which dictatorships are made. I have to underline this here because we saw in Afghanistan what was actually the consequence of such a situation and of such a large-scale corruption that really contribute to the situation and failed state and failure of transitional justice that we have in, in Afghanistan today. Uh, and this was kind of introduction to my point of transitional justice and what Boyan was saying, we cannot just implement some, somebody else's plans, although we have to be in line with world, um, um, uh, world treaties. Uh, actually, we have to be aware that we were failing in many things while we were remedying the state coming out of conflict or out of dictatorship, but not paying enough attention to corruption, grand corruption, and violations of economic and social rights while building the country. That has slowly been changing from 1995 with South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission, um, actually, um, Arab Spring started, among other things, because of large-scale corruption present in those countries. ISIS, as terroristic organization, made certain um, um, appealing among local population also because it was tough, at least the idea on corruption. So in transitional justice uh, um, uh, approaches, corruption, large-scale corruption and violations of economic and social rights were not, in my mind uh, and in my opinion, adequately addressed. But uh, that again started to change uh, more in 2006 uh, when uh, also Luis Arbour uh, stated that there is no hierarchy of rights and all human rights should be protected in these processes, which definitely do contribute to conflicts in the first place. By that slowly, you can see the definitions in the UN, which deal with transitional justice, all of a sudden also have wordings like corruption. And you have finally definitions which states also the deep capacity deficits in state justice and security institutions, widespread corruption and political interference led to diminishing levels of citizen security and economic opportunity when also transnational organized crime emerges in parallel with that increasing instability where corruption is omnipresent. And more and more, um, um, then um, three years afterwards, we had the UN Office of Human Rights um, 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 publication, which I do recommend, it's open online on transitional justice and economic, social, and cultural rights with many of such examples um, in practice, which I'm giving you um, now in, um, in theory. Okay, um, again, to make my point um, uh, here that uh, why we should start seriously addressing such large-scale organized corruption on international level, you can see by uh, some report of Truth Commission already uh, given in 2009 on Liberia, where um, um, I think that I should read it to make my point, despite its, its abundant natural resources, including tropical timber, rubber trees and mineral, Liberia has remained one of the poorest countries in the world. Throughout the period of January 1979 to October 2003, these resources benefited only a small elite number of a group of Liberia, Liberians, as well as selected foreign traders. 
Economic actor and economic activities played a crucial role in contributing to and benefiting from armed conflict in Liberia. Furthermore, private companies benefited from dealings with corrupt public officials to obtain lucrative natural resources concessions and exclusive licenses, and in many instances from corrupt uh, corporate entities were perpetrators of grave human rights, rights violations. We have lots of tax evasion, bribery, looting, forced displacement, money laundering, arms smuggling, and illegal price um, uh, fixing in countries country which is rich with natural resources and really which was struggling with um, war. Um, let's move on um, uh, close to us now in uh, Myanmar when we had um, uh, Rohingya um, 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 violations of human rights and genocide potential, uh, potential potentially UN fact-fighting mission on Myanmar exposed military business ties called for targeted sanctions and, and arms embargoes in, especially uh, in uh, analysis what was happening in uh, Myanmar. Uh, again... Donchena, you should uh, take I care should about timing, please. By, okay, okay, sorry, sorry, I'm coming to an end. The same was stated by first um, um, uh, ICC prosecutor Ocampo, that investigation of the financial aspects of alleged atrocities are crucial uh, for prevention of conflict. Uh, yeah, uh, to come to an end, saying already I made a point that this is um, um, uh, this is the problem of human security. And today we have uh, Office of the Prosecution of the ICC uh, policy, which stated that the court has to deal with uh, uh, with cases that do. Uh, come to destruction on their ballot, illegal exploitation of natural resources and illegal dispossession of land. And maybe I will end here now with giving and opening the floor that we should know, uh, discuss at the end um, um, and further on uh, what will be that, uh, that particular offense, uh, how we should address it on international level. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Suncha, and thank you very much for this really new dimension that you have added to what uh, Eldon and Boyan have um, <clears throat> talked about. And I think it's very in interesting now to um, connect this phenomenology of uh, organized uh, corruption cases in formal economy with uh, what can be done at the international level, particularly if the uh, national uh, capacity or resilience, as we call it, is not sufficient to deal with such cases, right? So this is this is very this is a big uh, problem that we uh, face. I of course open uh, uh, the panel to the questions uh, uh, from the uh, from other participants, and you can do it either by raising the hand or by writing the, the into the question and answer cell. Of course, uh, I, the floor is also open to the uh, three or four panelists to make further comments or ask each other questions if you have some. So I'm also inviting you to take the floor. I can explain a little bit with one slide which I have uh, on state capture, yes. if it's needed. Yes, please. That everybody can see this concept of state capture which is i think for 
the Balkan countries most important. First of all, we had transition after uh, 91, and the transition is not finished yet because there is still a lot of money to conquer, a lot of territory to conquer, and a lot of uh, companies to conquer. So we all went through privatization, which we called on the Balkan privatization, uh, to privatize as much as possible under the circumstances. And the laws were not follow following usually. And uh, that then we found out that we had the state capture. The, the, some institutions were captured or laws or even the whole state. Uh, so as Elda mentioned, uh, here we have uh, the mixture of law, politology, economy, and of course, some other uh, views. First of all, in politology, we have uh, this concept where uh, executive, judicial, and legislative branch are on power and they are in check imbalances, so they are controlling each other. So uh, the laws are adopted in the parliament and they are put to the government and the government execute the laws if something is wrong. We have here, of course, judicial branch on power. But um, when we research in deep, we found out that the laws are not uh, created in the institutions, uh, in the ministries, but somewhere outside. And uh, those who are, in fact, proposing the laws, uh, those were the same guys who are then uh, defending uh, the crooks in front of the courts, and they are earning money. They, first of all, they earn money for uh, writing the law. Then, second time, when they're preaching that the law is good and they organize the seminars how the law should be uh, executed and then of course uh, the third time in front of the courts uh, and we found out that the guys in the parliament that this even my experience in the parliament they're just raising the hand and they're not deciding uh, by their own uh, mind so uh, the government, where the, the leaders of the parties are, they are pressing on the uh, parliament that they're raising the hands uh, for the laws which are proposed by the groups which, in fact, financing the political parties. And uh, there was the, the pressure on the judges uh, that they will, uh, because the judges are appointed usually in the parliament, uh, so uh, the parliament raised again the hands uh, for the judges. Uh, then, according to the theory, we have the fourth branch on power, which are media. But we found out also through researchers that the media, uh, if we have the state media, the state media are under control of the government. And if we have the private media, the private media are under the control of the owners and uh, under the control of those who advertise in the media, because the media sell themselves through advertising, not when, they're, when you buy the media uh, on, on the kiosk. So, uh, and we found out that the, the biggest advertisers, let's say, in our region are the companies which are state-owned 
And in fact, the government again appointed the guys who are on the state-owned companies. So the, the, the main power, in fact, is in executive branch and power. So they control everything. But when we did the further researches, uh, I did it also in Würzburg in, in Germany, this, we found out that we have fifth branch and power. Those are those secret networks uh, who are financing the, the, the political campaigns, who are influencing the media, who influence the judges and also uh, vice versa, the parliament. Uh, so they do not want to step out and be uh, in the government because they, they then if you are a politician, you must declare your assets and uh, uh, all the people will watch what we are doing. So they are rather in the shadow and they're controlling the uh, government. So this is the main problem. And those guys captured the institutions, let's say the, the government or the whole parliament or the media, or they are captured the laws because the laws are adopted in the parliament, but those guys are in controlling the group, group who is preparing the laws. So this is the main concept of the state capture. Thank you very much. We have one question uh, uh, for all panelists, and it says that the exercise of connecting international processes is fascinating and requires a multidisciplinary approach, which your presentations are explaining well from the academic and intellectual point of view. How do you see this happening at the level of civil society? So is there anyone that would like to deal with this issue. That's the role of civil society, nationally and internationally. Sunchana, you have the floor. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for the question. And uh, uh, um, I think that the role of civil society here is crucial. Um, let me just give you one example. Uh, when we had, in, before COVID, I think it was uh, 2019, state party conference to the ICC, you had aside from Francis, um, I, I was uh, invited to participate in one of it that deal with serious economic crimes as um, um, future crimes and corruption crimes uh, for ICC to deal with. The other panel was uh, devoted to environmental crimes. And after that, you uh, many also uh, NGOs in, in African countries started to pressure and even before that, uh, especially for Nigeria, uh, to petition ICC to start to deal with those cases. And I would say until maybe mainstream or most important NGOs does not, uh, do not deal with that on international level, uh, we will still have a, an, empty, an empty seat there. Uh, the, to end the, the, the answer to your question is extremely important that um, NGOs are starting to deal with this topic seriously, how to address it effectively on international level, not, not just uh, taking into account country or region or continent. Thank you very much. Somebody else wants to, the panelists to make, uh, uh, I have another question. Um, uh, when you mention secret power, who makes up such power groups in civil society? Maybe it's, uh, I don't know whether it's Boyan or who mentioned these or, or Eldon, I, I forgot really, but. I think that Boyan mentioned this 
secret okay. societies. Let, let's say um, sometimes those societies are formal or informal. Uh, of course, uh, those are, I call them networks. We have positive and negative networks. Positive network is global initiative, which is open to everybody. Closed society, just for the benefits of those who are members and they do not advertise themselves as a global initiative is advertised. Uh, those are the most important players, fifth branch on power, as I mentioned. And the problem of civil society I, I, I see two problems. First problem is that the uh, civil society is usually financed by the state. So by the government uh, who's under control. Uh, and the second problem is where can civil society got information? From the media, if the media is uh, also under control. So how to get the, the real information and how to be uh, finance not to depend uh, on the state institutions. So those are the main problems. Of course, the civil society is the most important, the crucial factor combating the informal uh, dangerous networks. So to educate the people, to, to be in, on time to the information, that is the most important to combat the this, what we called organized corruption. The civil society is the only way uh, who will prevail and uh, to elect uh, the proper, uh, proper persons to the parliament, that the laws will be adopted for the people, as is, as is it mentioned, um, mentioned before. Thank you, Boyan. I think I have a question for uh, Eldon. And that is, do you consider that organized corruption is a gray rhino, high impact, yet neglected threat? And what are the concrete steps in the Western Balkans to tackle it? Is a comprehensive society approach a sustainable ground basis for that purpose? Or would it have the opposite effect and increase corruption network? And that's a very complicated question, but maybe Eldon, you can deal with that. Yeah, thank you, Odi. Uh, I would like to congratulate to my dear friends and professors for, for the excellent presentations and additional comments. Well, I think that these questions are quite, uh, let's say, interconnected. I just have to mention that the year before the COVID pandemic, we had discussion here with GI on faculty where I work about the role of civil society organization in tackling the organized corruption and corruption in general. And we, we, we really realized that they have, a, 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 I would say, essential role in, in discovering uh, the, the corruption. And as we know, all know that transparency is the biggest biggest enemy of the corruption. So when they when they discover, reveal the different uh, networks and connections between individuals, corporations, companies, the state actors, etc., this is the, the biggest threat for the, for the organized co co corruption not only in Western Balkans, but also worldwide. The comprehensive world of society approach, of course, is very important. And as I said, I will just mention that some recent uh, very grand corruption cases that have been discovered in the country uh, with, with the, the essential role of the investigative uh, reports and investigative journalists who belongs not to the typical kind of media 
profile, you know, but they are actually part of the civil society organization, but specialized in, in the investigative journalism. And they discovered, the, 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 as I said, very, very, very uh, big cases of, of corruption. Then uh, after that had to be, uh, I would say, initiated before the, 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 the judicial system as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a criminal justice cases. We will see that the outcome, I'm afraid that it again will be, will be controlled by the, those who belong to these uh, shadow networks of, of, of actors. So I think that it can bring changes as a comprehensive full society approach, uh, while all, all members of uh, all actors, stakeholders in, in the society are, are involved without their personal interest, but acting for the general interest, which is, I'm afraid, a bit forgotten here in our, in our, in our surrounding, as, as I would say, universal principle that have to be followed. Thank you. Thank you, Eldon. If I may join just from the international perspective and the role of civil society, uh, I have been dealing with the, uh, the topic of, uh, uh, of uh, the two mega conventions, UNTOC and UNCAC, and the fact uh, that they are dealing with phenomena that we know today are very much connected, that is organized crime and corruption. Uh, high-level cases of corruption, in particular organized corruption or power corruption, whatever you want to, to call it. And in the international uh, level, uh, actually talking about these two mega conventions, what is very interesting is that they are uh, completely divided. There is no communication between these two conventions. They each of them has the state conference of the party. So the next one of UNCAC is now taking place in Sharon Sheikh in next week, actually 13th of December. Uh, but these conferences of state parties don't talk to each other. Uh, there are resolutions that are passed at UNTOC that do not regard UNCAC and vice versa. And we have all these things that are really much in common, apart from the fact that they are all both universal. One has 189 countries, another one has 191 countries you know, that have ratified it. They both mention the similar offenses, corruption, money laundering, obstruction of uh, justice. And none of them actually, both of them needs updating to deal with these new phenomena that have happened from the time that they were adopted, including transnational organized corruption, if you like, to measure transnational organized crime. And we don't have actually at the international level uh, an instrument to deal with that. And I think this is, as I have a feeling that member states, which are actually governments, are really not going to push for more um, integration of the two mega conventions. I see there the role of the international civil society community to do it. And I think that is a very, I think, reachable objective and a very clear objective that with the efforts of civil society and of course counting on those governments and there are those that are in favor of such more integration uh, between the two uh, conventions, 
that that uh, something can be achieved. So let me see whether there are some more. Um, uh, uh, no, it was thank you from the last one <laughs> that Eldon was uh, answering. Any other uh, uh, comments or questions? We still have some five minutes and then we can, we have to close um, anyway. Uh, there is uh, one question. Let me just see. Do you think that hesitance of member states to integrate the conventions is because of their own issues with country level implementation? I think, uh, uh, there is a problem of the civil society involvement in what is known as the review mechanisms of both conventions. Actually, the role of civil society um, is uh, in both conventions a step backward with respect to the role of civil society and the human rights machinery. In human rights machinery, the so-called UPR, Universal Periodical Review, cannot be adopted without two reports, which are a must. Government report on the state of human rights and civil society report on the state of human rights. This is not the case neither with UNTOC nor with UNCAC. Actually, civil societies are invited to participate in the review mechanism of UNCAC and UNTOC at the pleasure of governments. If the governments are ready, to invite civil societies to contribute to the review mechanism, and some do, that is done. But many don't do it and don't involve civil society in the review mechanism. So I think this is a problem of what rightly the question said, a problem of national implementation. And then, you know, if there is no involvement of civil society at the national level in the review of the implementation of the two conventions. It is also difficult then to find it uh, at the international level because actually there is no proper uh, space except uh, after the uh, reports of the governments have been already adopted. So it, this is ex post facto opinions of the civil society. So yes, I think we have an uh, uh, institutional problem there. And that is why I am a little bit skeptical that governments themselves will push very much towards integration of the two conventions. And that's where I think that civil society has to uh, exercise, to mobilize and exercise the pressure. Uh, I think that uh, we have reached the end of this panel. I would first of all like to uh, thank the participants uh, that have taken time to listen to the panelists. I would like to thank obviously to the organizers of this panel and in particular, my very dear colleagues and my very, very close friends, Sunchana Boyan and Eldan for the participation and contribution. And I hope that we will together continue with exploring this very interesting topic. Thank you very much. Until next time. Bye-bye.
Thank you for listening to the OC24 podcast. For more talks, have a look at the podcast feed on whichever platform you use. There are loads more to listen to. Video versions of these talks are also available on the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime YouTube channel. If you would like to share these talks around, we ask that you use the hashtag OC24 and let us know what you think. The 24-hour conference on global organised crime is brought to you by the European Consortium of Political Research Standing Group on Organised Crime, the Centre for Information and Research on Organised Crime, the International Association for the Study of Organised Crime, and the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime. For more information, head over to oc24.globalinitiative.net. This has been the OC24 podcast from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organised Crime. Thanks for listening.